Hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of Captain Roy's Rusty Rocket Radio Show, the UK Geek Science Fiction Fantasy and Horror Podcast, episode 498, taped through a Shore SM58 on Thursday the 10th of August 2023 at... 234653 Ah, another episode. Today we are tackling loads and loads of stuff. It's a great big geek update of all the stuff that I've been enjoying and doing, and hopefully you'll find this interesting. I'll just give you a quick rundown of what I've got here tonight. Science fiction, fantasy, and horror-wise, I will be talking about the restaurant at the end of the universe, life of the universe and everything, Star Trek, Mission Impossible, Sherlock, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning, Made for Love, Foundation, Star Trek Strange New Worlds, Paper Girls, Dead City, Daryl Dixon, Fright Fest, and a lot of other stuff. <laughs> ah, in varying degrees of detail. But first, a very important announcement, and that is for me to introduce to you my new member of staff, or, well, not so new member of staff, but new-ish, my Butler, Major Domo, PA, Agent, Head of Security, Sergeant Arms. I deny that he is my henchman and assassin. And that chap is Herr Feigl Gestalt. Mr. Gestalt is a unique Gestalt, as the name implies, entity made up of the vintage movie classic henchman Igor. Igor and Fritz. They do exist in the world of vintage horror movies. You'll have to do your own research, though. Feigl took over from my regular staff, Horsey, Boris, Ratty and Bumbles, who went on holiday due to overwork some months ago. In his duties as my personal assistant, he says that due to the time between this and the last Geek Life episode, there was just too much to cover, so he had to draw a line in the sand somewhere and demanded that I save extra content for a future show. Even with <laughs> Feigl Gestalt's severe discipline, as it is, this episode will probably run for far too long. We'll see, though. It always gets a lot shorter when I edit. In closing, Feigl tells me to say hello to the nice reviewers, and that the nasty ones should pray he is merely a figment of my imagination. And on that slightly sinister introduction, let's do... No, let's not do the main part of the show. Let us 
build up to that. Instead, let me just whiz you through my off-topic subjects this week, and then we'll get on to the science fiction, fantasy, and horror. There are a few things I wanted to talk about. Let's start off with the old man. If you remember back to that entertaining Jeff Bridges spy-slash-action thriller about a deadly but old spy who is on the run, well, that show has been renewed for a second season, so if you're a fan of the show, that's still around. Snowfall. This is a bloody and very adult crime drama seen from the point of view of the drug dealers. And it has finished. The final season has already run. It's available on iPlayer in the UK. And it ties up loose ends and has a very disturbing nightmare alley-like denouement. I think this is a great FX series created by the late John Singleton. And if you're into gritty crime dramas, this would be it. I know people have in the past recommended that I see The Wire, but I was too late in the game to do that, and now I just can't be bothered. I'm guessing, from what I've seen of The Wire, if you like that, you'll like this. Though this is far, far nastier. Okay, still on TV... The Sixth Commandment. This is a 2023 BBC drama based on the true story of Black Widow Banfield's murder of two older and vulnerable people. Timothy Spall is great as the first victim. Well, Timothy Spall is great in everything. He plays an elderly English teacher. Aina Hardwick is also great and very disturbing as the cold killer hiding his true nature in the guise of a deeply religious church warden. All I can say is always be very suspicious of people who seem to be too good to be true, because they often are. Next, Code of a Killer. In this, John Sim is a geneticist. Alex Jeffries in this fact-based 2015 ITV crime drama. Jeffries is an obsessive scientist who is called on to use his groundbreaking genetic fingerprinting technique in an immigration case against the Home Office and to solve a series of rape murders, but also cursing the UK with mass DNA testing. This is another absorbing drama starring Mr. Everybody, John Sim, the ultimate everyman. And I'll end this bit on some trivia. There's a scene set in 1987 with a BBC micro on Alex Jeffrey's desk. I don't remember seeing anything quite that primitive in an office back then. So I'm guessing someone just found this prop and thought, oh, that looks suitably retro. Next, even more weird crime drama with Wolf. When Sacha Dewan 
Doctor Who's latest master. And I won Rion, Game of Thrones' Ramsay Bolton, come to visit in the linked side plot. Things are not going to turn out well. That's almost a given when you have those two actors walk into a scene. There's got to be something terrible about to happen. Wolf is a 2023 BBC thriller about a likeable but vengeful copper played by Ukweli Roach. A little of the originality of the script was lost as the murderous pair I mentioned at the top of this section, Dewan and Rion, immediately reminded me far too much of Michael Hanake's Funny Games from 1997 and remade in 2007. One of which we have reviewed. I can't remember which one. I'm guessing the latter. As I've said a few times, TMZ is my not-so-guilty pleasure. It stems from being addicted to that series, Dirt, about a muckraking tabloid magazine, a celebrity Hollywood magazine, that starred Courtney Cox, if you remember back to that. If you haven't seen that, see that. It's really good. But towards the end, it gets a bit meta which is a bit stupid. And every time a show goes meta and they break the fourth wall and all that nonsense, you know that behind the scenes, the show was cancelled or something and the creatives are just getting their own back. But anyway, where were we? (laughs) Sorry, I went off course and started talking about dirt. Yeah, because of that, I have now become (laughs) overly interested in the celeb YouTube show. It's also a podcast, but I now watch it on YouTube. Personally, I don't like talking about celebrities, or for that matter, production or box office, all those things do not interest me as things to talk about, but It is okay if others want to gossip. I'm happy to listen. It's just not the sort of thing that I want to do myself. Yeah, TMZ. Pretty good. And definitely far more engaging since Charlie Cotton took over hosting the podcast. ChatGPT. Yeah, I've been trying ChatGPT. I tried it first on seeing how it would do writing a literary query for me, which is something that bothers most of us authors. I must say it was quite good. I then asked it to summarise text on my website. Oh yeah, by the way, the literary test happened ages and ages ago and the data set's always changing, so who knows how that would work now. More recently, I did that thing with the website, getting it to create a pressy of my website. I, however, found the result outdated and overly verbose. Garbage in, garbage out. I also tested it writing some Lua and JavaScript. It's like Stack Overflow without knowing who to thank, 
or getting a snarky bot telling you your question is off topic. Which happens all the time, doesn't it? Bloody Stack Overflow. But where would we be programming without it? Ah, yeah, pretty useful for that. I've also played around with other AI software. For instance, back in 459, I reported on my experiences with stable diffusion. So if you want to hear how I got on with that art prompt AI software, go back and listen to 459. Here's an update on my new Samsung A14 4G new smartphone. I'm finding the budget phone's camera much better than my old Honor 9 Lite. My one criticism though is that the screen isn't really bright enough so that you can comfortably use it during daylight hours, especially in direct sunlight. I always think every time one of these new smartphones comes out, especially at the budget end, that it is just amazing how even cheap tech gets better and better each year. I'll have a smartphone that can teleport me before long. <laughs> if, though, that ever happens, please let us opt for wormhole technology, not Star Trek's barbaric disassembly process. Ugh. You wouldn't get me going through one of those things. Bones is right. Raspberry Pi 4 Model B 8 Gigabyte. Amazingly, I got an alert email that Raspberry Pis regain in stock in the UK a few weeks ago. And that include even the rarest of all Pis, the Raspberry Pi with 8 gigabytes of RAM. It was, at the time of writing those show notes a few weeks ago, available from Pi Moroni and the Pi Hut in the UK. I'm not sure if it's still available. If you're after one of those Pies, try those two stores. And so, somewhat with fairly deep resentment in my heart, given the stock allocation nonsense, that the Raspberry Pi Foundation put us ordinary consumers through, I immediately bought one and also subsequently bought an Acasa Maze Pro passively called Case, as well as some other accessories. I'll report on my progress in future, though it is somewhat related to the next topic. Maybe. And the next topic is titled Cinema Mature. Originally, that Raspberry Pi 4 with 8GB of RAM was bought for me so that I could pass on my older Raspberry Pi 3B Plus for the Cinema Mature project, so that my parents have a decent cord-cutted selection of Bollywood and Disney movies and other movies to enjoy, and music as well. Given the streaming price increases recently and the flakiness of future media availability, I strongly suggest you stock up on physical media, which is what we are doing here. 
we have already acquired almost a foot-high stack of Disney DVDs. And the idea was that I transcode them and stick them on a disc, plug that into the Pi, plug the Pi into the telly, and there you are. No need to pay for streaming services. In terms of expense, apart from the Pi, let's talk about that. I don't know how much Disney is in the UK. I heard that it's about $14, maybe, in the US. We have paid so far about £10 in secondhand DVDs, and we've got a big stack. So within a few months, you probably will never need the streaming services if you can get your hands on the DVDs and you know how to rip them. Which is perfectly legal if you own those DVDs. And yes, DVDs rather than Blu-ray because they are just smaller. And how much storage can I buy? There is a bit of a problem with this plan though. I've mentioned this before in the podcast, maybe some time ago. Unfortunately, our main big TV is far too old to be in any way smart and can't even run HDMI CEC so that you can use the TV's remote control on your Pi. So the remote is useless. One option is to use the core Kodi Android app, but I found it buggy and sometimes it just doesn't connect. Another way is for mum to stream from her Android phone via the VLC app from Libra Elec on the Pi. Another way, in addition to that, is that we already have Roku's installed on all the TVs. And I have tried an MB server on a PC streaming via the Roku client app but I found the quality unacceptable. However, as I'm familial IT support, another even more hands-off approach for me is to use my cheap, tinny Sony Blu-ray player's USB port and built-in media player. It is, though, a crude device, and it only plays a few formats. Also, there are no place markers or breadcrumb trails, so you'll have to tediously fast-forward to where you left off the last time if you stop midway through watching something. The point is, we have quite a few solutions, and as we speak, Cinema Mature is live, and so far has shown Shree 420, Sholay, and Snow White. I just wish we also had one of those big red cinema curtains that we could have in front of the telly and you could pull it apart when you're about to watch something and you have those seats as well. You know what? I just want my own cinema. <laughs> Figor, see to that, will you? Okay, let us talk about some equipment upgrades I attempted with fairly mixed results. I bought a Shaw Beta 58A. This is a super cardioid microphone with neodymium magnets. I was hoping it would give me a clearer sound than my Shaw SM58, and in fact it did. But 
I also found it more susceptible to my clicky mouth. I also bought a Scarlett Focusrite 4i4 USB audio interface, but the software was a giant pain in the bum that refused to run loopback consistently on my Windows PC running Audacity. And by the way, loopback combines the audio from the mixer and the computer and then sends it back to the computer for recording. And yeah. Sometimes it would work, sometimes it wouldn't, which is not really what you want to do when you're taping a podcast. And so, the Beta 58A and the 4i4 were returned to Toman. By the way, Toman in Germany, that mega music shop that everyone uses in Europe, they really need to ditch DHL. It's not that the couriers themselves are bad, they're pretty good. The problem is when you want to return something, or perhaps collect something, half their outlets can't seem to handle the work. For example, one of their main outlets, where I live, is WH Smith. You would have thought WH Smith would be able to handle this. No, they can't. Whereas this remote sweet shop in the middle of nowhere does deal with these things. But WH Smith? No. You have to go somewhere else. Completely useless. Ah, what a mess. This crap all started when Toman stopped using Halfords. Yeah, there was a time when Halfords were accepting deliveries and returns from Toman, and that was great, because I have a big car park. They're easy to find, they're everywhere. Absolutely great. Then Toman stopped doing that. I think they need to go back to doing that. Toman, if you're listening, do that. Also purchased from Toman was a Soundcraft EVM6 mixer, which I bought because my Yamaha MG06 mixer just doesn't have enough inputs. It is often described when you look online as a small mixer, but I've got to tell you this, it is not small. It is a massive steel battleship. It isn't quite as big as a radio studio desk or something you might find in a recording studio, but it is big. I do like it, though. It has faders and mutes and all the analog goodies that you actually need to do your work. But it also takes up four times as much desk space as my old Yamaha MG06. In comparison to the MG06, though, the preamps seem cleaner, but the mic and headphone channels have significantly less output. Thus, my current setup is still the MG06 with an SM58 for podcasting, because it's a compromise with my smoother but less punchy Shure SM7B. By the way, I'm hanging on to the SM7B and the APM6 mixer for the day. I have a proper studio and more space. The other things I have audio equipment for are for voice acting and bluegrass-style single mic technique that is, singing and twanging my banjolele into one mic. That is now the domain of my old Audio-Technica 8875R shotgun microphone. 
It was originally made for ENG, electronic news gathering, or just for field recording. But I find it quite good. It's a super cardioid, but it isn't that narrow focused. It has a low cut filter that kicks in around 90 hertz, which does sound a bit high, but it's still bassy unless you run it through something like Levelator, then you really will notice a bass cut. And that's the thing about how much of the audio spectrum mics can record. It might say something to something, but you need to see the curve to see where those frequencies are most recorded. But yeah, I'm using uh, <laughs> an unusual mic for music. There's also the usual spaghetti of cables under my desk that would give you a psychotic episode if I was to explain how it all worked, so I won't do that. I also had an idea for a very, very cheap USB audio interface. Let's see, the Focusrite 4i4 is about £175. My cobbled together wires were about £15. It didn't work. I think it could work. My problem is I'm still using Windows 7. I'll explain how that works some other time, but basically I cobbled together something using the Apple headset dongle. Ah, sun amplification, yeah. On the 1st of August, Fender revived the cult sun amplification brand that they bought ages and ages ago and didn't really do much with. Quite disappointingly, I thought the reissue of the Solid State Sun Vita Lead was something that fans of Doom, Drone and Stoner Rock, including me, have waited for with bated breath for such a long time is far too expensive to compete with amps like the Orange Super Crush, around half the price. And by the way, it's also a Class D amp. I'm not sure if that means anything, really. But most of the old solid-state gear and valve gear is Class A or Class AB. There's some debate as to whether that actually means anything. But something to bear in mind. There is also a cheaper Sun Beta lead preamp only, with none of the power amp stage. It's still not cheap, and still more expensive than something like the Orange Super Crush, a fairly robust solid-state amp. Sun's most expensive valve amp is $3,199. That's more than even a new green Matamp GT120 with a master volume control and about double the price of a Marshall JTM45 reissue. What does this tell you? It is what I feared, boutique prices. It's as if Fender's marketing department have absolutely no idea what their customers need, want or can afford to buy or are willing to spend. I don't know if this will be a success. I think it will be a complete disaster. We'll see. Tony Basil. 
Again, this is not the first time Tony Basil's name has come up in this podcast. I was awakened by a nightmare. Now, say recently in my show notes, it was on, let's see, the 24th of July in the morning. This time, it was Tony Basil's voice whispering the words to Mickey in a chill, cold, monotone, in complete blackness, with the Transformers slash Inception Brahm in the background. The Brahm turned out to be a road-sweeping truck. The rest, I have no idea. And I apologise to Tony Basil for her appearance in my truck. Why am I apologising? She should be apologising to me. Oh, by the way, the Brahm that I thought was credited to Hans Zimmer, big fan of Hans Zimmer, was actually made by a chap called Mike Zarin. I'm not sure if we've talked about that stuff in the podcast before. I can't remember. I just can't remember. It's been so long and, you know, 498 episodes now. Ah, man, that's a lot of episodes. Okay, the next item. My YouTube mixtape playlists are being screwed and I hate YouTube shorts. Well, there you are. The title says it all, but okay, I'll go into more detail. Look, it took me time and effort to set up these music playlists I have curated for my entertainment. And as I always say, I can say that I curated something because I have actually been an actual curator. Yeah, I'm sorry, just stroking my ego. I did that also for the entertainment of others, but for whatever reason, be it YouTube copyright or flaky YouTubers who are jealous that my playlist that includes their stuff is getting more listens, I don't know. That's just a theory. Very paranoid and... uh, Theory, maybe? (laughs) But anyway, whoever's to blame... Please stop messing with your uploads because it screws up my playlists. And when these songs drop off, some of the playlists are long enough that I can't remember what's been lost, so it is hell to replace them. One solution I can think of is to manually create streaming playlist files for VLC which is something I used to do for radio station DJ sets. So if it all goes tits up, I'll have a record. Also, doing it that way, I can hopefully still play them straight from VLC on my phone, if YouTube still allows that, because it probably interferes with their ads. The last time I tried, I think there was a problem... Though this does merit further investigation, if I ever get the time. And while I'm complaining, I hate YouTube shorts and make a special effort not to watch them. Even if I think they might be interesting, I might not watch them, just out of spite. Creators, if you're listening to this, hello out there. Look, if you want to do what almighty YouTube tells you to do, do it. But don't expect me to care about this unpausable TikTok Sherlocking nonsense. Next, there have been deaths. 
George Alagaya, Bram Moulinar, Tony Bennett, Sinead O'Connor, Paul Rubens, and William Friedkin all died recently. George Alagaya was a well-known and liked British-Asian BBC news presenter, born in Colombo, partly educated in Ghana, then the UK, and then became a really famous news presenter on the BBC. Bram Moulinar founded Vim, the Vibase text editor I have used since around the early 2000s. He died on the 3rd after a short illness. His family have posted details on Vim Google Group. I've included a link in the show notes. I remember him most from the mild trolling he gave me after I lost my vim.org forum password. I thought it was such a touching gesture that many people added a colon WQ to their tributes. They did that because escape then colon WQ in Vim will save your changes to file and then exit. What a lovely thought. I commemorated the occasion with a comment in my VimRC configuration file. RIP Bram, and long live the cult of Vi. Tony Bennett was a Vegas crooner who counted Frank Sinatra amongst his fans. That is quite a thing. Sinead O'Connor doesn't need an introduction with her massive and deeply romantic single Nothing Compares to You, from 1990. Recently, there was some TV coverage on the news about her funeral, and man, a lot of people went to that, including Bob Geldof and presumably a lot of other celebs, but also ordinary people as well. The streets were really crowded. Paul Rubens is not an actor I know very well, but he portrayed the comedic, geeky, one-man mishap machine Pee Wee Herman from 1977 to 2017. 1977? Wow. William Friedkin was a director, a producer, and a screenwriter. He directed The French Connection. He won an Oscar as Best Director from that, and more of something of interest to me, The Exorcist. And a lot of other films as well. R.I.P. to all of those people, of course, but I've got to tell you, doing these obituaries is getting depressing, and I've said this before, I might just stop doing it. That is it for stuff not directly related to science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Let us do stuff directly related to science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Let's start off with the restaurant at the end of the universe. My read to the power of infinite rereading of the restaurant at the end of the universe has come to an end. There were a few excerpts that caught my eye, but only one I actually remembered. And that is the following. Something like 85% of all known worlds in the galaxy have invented a drink called gin and tonics. Okay, that's the quote, and you know what, this perhaps accounts for my predilection for the tasty tipple I like to call Victorian crack. Ah, 
two double gin and tonics were what I used for Dutch Courage to start this podcast. Dutch Courage is British. It doesn't matter. (laughs) Okay, that's the restaurant at the end of the universe finished with. I have moved on now to life, the universe, and everything. Started a few days ago. My coffee is a lovely pan paperback from 1982 that appears to be unused, new old stock. That is, it is pristine, but age-yellowed. That is incredible to think that no one has read that book. Maybe they just made too many of them. I have the one with a cover with the ring pull floating in space. If I had a gin and tonic in front of me now, I'd be toasting my reintroduction to reading, which is a streak I hope to continue. Judging by my first ever podcast and the reason I no longer drink during a podcast, well, occasionally perhaps, but not always, and not very often, is that I'll end up slurring through the podcast, and I already have quite a few mouth noises. Believe me, alcohol is the last thing I need. Now I'm going to hit pause for a moment, because I've been going on and on and on for quite a while, and then I'll be back. Okay, I'm back, and it should be quieter this time, because I've remembered to turn off my amp, which was gently fizzing in the background. I nearly always forget to turn that off. I also got my standing stick to make it more comfortable for me. Ah, I was sitting down before, but that is so unpleasant. much prefer standing up. Okay, let us continue where we left off. And talk about some rewatches. Since my, shall we say, petty problem, I'm on a talking therapy waiting list. But I've been also trying to do something other than scoff down my GP's prescription tablets. Because in the past, I've been down the path of the medicated but cooperative zombie, which helped me hold down a job in the past. This is nothing more cooperative than a zombie, as we know from Shaun of the Dead. For me, I prefer to be quirky rather than numb. Better a clownish wizard than a medicated zombie. And by the way, this is definitely not medical advice. Everyone's needs are different. If you need medication, you need medication. I've just decided not to take it. As I'm temporarily not out and about as much as I was before, though I'm improving, I've been filling in the bench time watching the rebooted Chris Pine Star Trek as well as Tom Cruise's Mission Impossible series. The latter is in preparation for Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning, which we will talk about in a bit. Haven't seen it yet, but I just had some more to say about that. 
and so far I've found that medication via the screen is certainly better than through chemicals. And perhaps have the same soporific effect, at least calms you down, so let's call it part of the treatment. But back to these actual movies. My conclusion is that all these movies look amazing, hardly a groundbreaking conclusion, but have remarkably ludicrous plots. Why are the reboots so much less sophisticated than the original TV programs? Mass global appeal, yes, but doesn't that sound incredibly condescending? Still. I do enjoy the fan service, and acting of Star Trek, and the rubber masks, the weird grand deceptions, and the exotic James Bond-style jet-set travelogue of Mission Impossible, and the non-stop action of both. Late-breaking, I've also finished another rewatch of Sherlock, the BBC TV series, like... Star Trek and Mission Impossible, it is very entertaining and fan service in this modern adaptation, but unlike Star Trek and Mission Impossible, Sherlock is also fantastically cleverly written. Not that at this stage that needs repeating, but again, nice one Mark Gatiss, Stephen Moffat and Stephen Thompson. Even more late-breaking, I started rewatching the Harry Potter series. What can I say? It's brilliant, but it does make me feel like revisiting the even better books, despite J.K. Rowling's mm, strange views outside the world of Harry Potter. Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. This is feedback regarding Indiana Jones 5, which I talked about in pod 495. This Twitter is from Twitter. <laughs> this feedback is from Twitter, or Zitter, or whatever the bloody hell this stupid thing that Elon Musk is calling it now, God knows. And that feedback is from an old friend, Saul Garnell, at S. Garnell, with two L's, on July the 8th, replying to me, at Roy Matur. And here's what he says. Saw IG5, thought it was fun and not deserving much of the negative press. But is it a plot-hole-free hard science thriller? Nope. But it never was. I think many people have unreal expectations based on fond memories. If you want to hear what I think of it, go back to 495. But in brief, it's an okay film, but your watching of the indie series could quite happily stop at Last Crusade. Crystal Skull and Dial of Destiny, you can take them or leave them. Some more feedback. This time about Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning. The feedback, though, this time is not about the film, which I haven't seen yet, but the stunt that 
Tom Cruise or his production company have put up on YouTube, and it's amazing. And that stunt is of Tom Cruise repeatedly motorcycling off the side of a cliff and then base jumping for a scene in Mission Impossible 7. Again, on Twitter, Saul Garnell said a day earlier, on the 7th of July, I'm not a huge MI fan, but yes, normal actors don't put their lives on the line like this. Would I be surprised if he got himself killed? Not really. I just wonder, with so many movies bombing nowadays, can big-budget movies like this survive in the future? So that's two things. First, my view on the stunt. After watching that incredible stunt being repeatedly enacted on YouTube, my thoughts were really how impressed I was with Tom Cruise's skills. Though it gave me a bad dose of the collie wobbles. I also think that perhaps there's an element of not wanting to risk other crew on a very high-risk stunt. If I was in Tom Cruise's shoes, what am I talking about? Not Tom Cruise. But let's just say I was. It would be difficult to come to terms with killing someone, a stunt person, for the sake of your film as opposed to risking your own life. As for the future of big-budget movies... Honestly, Soulmate, I have no idea, as I have no interest in box office stats. However, peripherally, I do know that some of these movies are tanking at the moment, but others, like Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, are not. The answer is, I don't know. There are just so many factors involved in wondering whether big-budget movies will continue, What's the state of streaming? Don't know. It's going down. We know that. Going to the movies is getting more expensive. I just don't know. However, I do know that I am extremely grateful for the feedback. And if you've got any feedback, details at the end of the show on how to get in touch. Let's move on to TV. Made for love. Okay. Made for Love. This is an HBO Max series, which is a Black Mirror-like science fiction tale of a neural link-like brain implant, but to confer a type of digital telepathy between couples in love. All I have to say to that is... Made for Love is quirky and funny, as are some of the stars, especially the lead, Kristen Milioti. There's also a touching and also deeply unsettling portrayal by Ray Romano. Yes, Ray Romano, as the father of the lead, whose new partner is a love doll. See what I mean about quirky? Made for Love feels like a one-off feature-length drama that's been overstretched, so after an episode or two, I was out. Next, Foundation and Season 2. After Cleon's bonking Dermazel, 
the robot gender-bent version of R. Daniil Olivar, and Naked Fighting of Episode 1, titled In Seldon's Shadow, the mysterious telepathic mutant conqueror, the mule, about the only reason I'm still watching Season 2, finally makes an appearance in Episode 2, titled A Glimpse of Darkness. He is not the weedy, gothy, harlequinish minstrel, Magnifico Giganticus, brilliantly painted by Michael Wellen for the 80s Del Rey cover of Isaac Asimov's Foundation and Empire, but instead Goya's gritty uber-warrior. I am very, very, very not impressed. I'm unimpressed. I'm highly unimpressed. This is not what I said about it when it started. I said it was pretty good. I've changed my mind now. I will say that Apple TV Plus's show is still good-looking, but so loosely based on Asimov's writing that it's hard to see this as a serious attempt to adapt Foundation. This could definitely be done better in the future. And it will be. Let us move on to Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Before I start, I should tell you I have not seen the musical episode yet. I'm not looking forward to seeing it. What I can talk about, though, is the Below Decks crossover episode, which was Season 2, Episode 7, titled Those Old Scientists. I liked the live-action versions of the animated actors, but including Below Deck's comedic animation as well in this episode ruined my suspension of disbelief, unlike the old animated series that ran from 1973 to 1974 and were novelised as Star Trek Logs. And by the way, that animated show and the books are really good, so seek them out. But yeah... I wasn't so pleased about that episode. I know a lot of people liked it after I watched it and wrote this stuff up. I had a look at what other people are saying, and I don't share that view. I love Star Trek, the original series, but most series after that had some real issues. The Next Generation could be dry, Deep Space Nine manufactured conflict with the Cardassians and the Changelings to be interesting, although I still really like Sisko and Odo and many of the characters. Voyager's Kazon stories bored me senseless. Star Trek's irritating temporal Cold War and gung-ho military Mako special force troops seemed to go nowhere. Discovery was too grimdark, and Strange New Worlds, perhaps a reaction to that, has massive tone shifts from episode to episode. Animated fun one week, then next week Dr. Mbanga suffers massive battle fatigue-derived PTSD and commits a violent murder in episode 8, Under the Cloak of War. Taken as a whole, though, 
The Star Trek franchise is great, so I'll take those flaws as long as they keep churning out decent content. Trekkie for life. Despite my complaints. Paper Girls. I have talked about Paper Girls before. This is the promising Amazon Prime video science fiction series based on the titular comic. It is about a gang of girls who deliver papers caught in a time loop. That show has been cancelled after only one season. I think the problem was that it never felt like anything more than a mini-series, and asking for several seasons was too much. In my mind, I would say yes, this would have worked well as a mini-series. It's a pity they didn't wrap things up. I think they've got to think about wrapping things up nowadays, instead of just deciding, oh, we're going to have a series that goes on for years and years, and if we run out of money, we'll just cut it there and then, and that's it. We'll leave the viewers in the lurch. What a pity. Next, let's talk about the Walking Dead spin-offs. There are many Walking Dead spin-offs, from AMC's original series, The Walking Dead, the last of which, Dead City, and Daryl Dixon, hold absolutely no interest for me. Even if I wasn't tired of the franchise as a whole, Dead City reminds me too much of Escape from New York and DMZ, which, by the way, was made into a TV series in 2022. Also, much as the reformed Nazi biker, Daryl Dixon, who is the titular character of his own series, and that trailer has just been released, is an interesting character. The problem is, I've watched and largely enjoyed the main show in its entirety, and now I'm out. I'm done with it, I'm out, I'm finished with The Walking Dead. Let me move on to something else. Fright Fest. I was going to attend Frightfest this year, an update. I'm not going. I do remember that the tickets sold out far too quickly, and the remaining single film events were about £15 each. That's not too bad, but I had no retweets or interest from the organisers. Perhaps I should have been pushier. I don't know. So, I'm not going to be covering this one. I'm off this one. I'm sorry. That's Fright Fest. Not being covered on my show. Wow. That is it for the show. We have finished. We are done. That was such a lot of stuff, and my feet are absolutely killing me. I'm leaning heavily on my standing stick. Let's do the after show, and then call it quits. Doctor Who. Okay, you've just heard me talk about Mordrin Undead in 497. You can expect more classic Doctor Who revisits more frequently. Earlier in the show, I talked about how I've been absorbing a high level of entertaining rewatch silliness. That popcorn has left me 
hungry for something more. Hence the current upsurge of classic Doctor Who revisits. I trust you are enjoying and will continue to enjoy and talk to me about. Please talk to me about it. Ah, nice to have feedback. Steaming on ahead like this, I'm quite looking forward to The Five Doctors, The Caves of Androzani, which is, which is the best Peter Davison adventure, mostly because of that iconic villain, Sharaz Jack, and Colin Baker's upcoming Reign of Terror as the maniacal Sixth Doctor. What a nutter. That's it. The show is produced, presented, and edited by me, Roy Matur, a writer. Matur is spelt M-A-T-H-U-R. You can find more about me or get in touch at RoyMatur.com. If you want to help, please review and rate the show on whatever platform you listen. Recommend it to a friend or mortal enemy. Or click on the contact or support link on the website. Every week I try to make mortal enemies sound more and more sinister, but when I come to edit, it just sounds... Very normal. Mortal enemy. More base. I don't know. Thanks for tuning in. You are listening to Captain Roy's Rusty Rocket Radio Show, the UK geek science fiction, fantasy and horror podcast, episode 498. And the date and time at the end of the show is Friday the 11th of August 2023 at 014403. As always, everyone, thanks for listening. Speak to you soon, and bye-bye for now. Bye! Hello, just breaking in here at the end of the show on Monday the 14th of August, 2023, and sometime in the morning, just to tell you that there were some problems for this episode, I thought I'd recorded on the SM58. I think I recorded on the AT875R, maybe. I'm not sure. The track was certainly a lot clickier than I thought it would be. So much so that I've now changed my recording technique. I do the editing first. Then I fix all the levels and run the whole thing for a D-clicker. That saves us a lot of time. I don't know what it does for the quality. It seems okay. It's a bit of a lazy fix, but it's something I'm going to do to save time from now on. Also, when I recorded, and in fact right now, there was quite a bit of traffic noise. I've tried to reduce that as much as possible, but apologies for that. Oh, I've finished. That's all I had to say. Bye, again.